she's on the lawn with a very hot spaniel and a cat. So um, I'm leaving them in peace. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to another episode of I Might Be Wrong. I am, as always, Rich Newnham, and today I have with me Mr. Henry Salmon. Hello, I'm still here, and I'm still drinking teas. I, I, I keep mistiming the beers, so um, this is a disaster. Are you on beer this time, or are you, are you I'm on not. the soft stuff? Um, I'm actually I'm actually drinking coffee. I have had three rather late nights in a row. I did a very, very good fun virtual port tasting that was organised by a port importer over here with a small port company called Cavedo. They're based obviously out in Portugal. But you were um, actually drinking the port. Though. You weren't virtually like going, oh, this looks like it could taste really <laughs> nice. Yeah, so what they did was they sold packs of six half bottles of port for a hundred quid which sounds like a lot but actually when it's that much port it's it was decent value for money and they gave the profits to the nhs and it was a really enjoyable two evenings back to back of doing the tasting so if you like good wine and if you like port go and check out vintage wine and port I don't have any affiliation with them, but I just really like them. They're good people, and I've bought a bunch of stuff from them in the past because I'm a port geek, as yeah, we've discussed. And, and if you decide to send Rich some port because he's just given you uh, a, a little hat tip on a podcast, then send me some as well, just because <laughs> just because it's not fair that Rich has some and I don't. I promise you that if anyone sends me port off the back of this podcast episode, I will come and share it with you. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Anyway, we should probably get on with the stuff that we're actually here for and and talk about some music. So last week I picked one out of the bag. So (laughs) it's your turn. Who are you going for? Yeah, I'm going for Mr. Paul Simon and his album Graceland. This is is an old favourite of mine back from when I was growing up and uh it's stuck with me ever since and it's it, one of my favorite albums um and there's a lot of interesting backstory to it as well i'm sure most people will have heard of paul simon's work he is let's face it one of the probably one of the biggest names coming out of the 70s but a lot of people will know simon and garfunkel rather than maybe his solo work so t- tell us a little bit about him and his background yeah so his his backstory starts with art garfunkel and the two of them decided to record um folk music together and they've created classics so sound of silence mrs robinson bridge over troubled water just to name just a handful so he was recording that in the mid 60s with with garfunkel and he was doing a lot of the songwriting nearly all of the songwriting i think but the two of them were a brilliant duo If, if you listen to the vocal harmonies on stuff like sound of silence just listen to the two of them the way their voices marry up together, you can see why they did so well. I'm so, a huge, yeah. huge fan of Simon and Garfunkel because my dad used to play Bridge Over Troubled Water in the car all the time. So it's another one of those childhood car journey albums. And listening to things like The Boxer and Baby Driver just just take me back. And I love, and you're right, the harmonies in the quieter stuff are just beautiful. Yeah, they, they smash it out of the park. One more that I need to mention there is uh, 
the only living boy in New York. And I'm literally only going to mention it so that I can put it on the playlist because it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, if you do not know that song, please listen to it. It's an absolute classic. So we've got this. So we've got a classic songwriting folk duo who um, record up to the 70s. Paul Simon decides to go his own way. I don't think it was a nasty split up. I think he just decided that he was wanting to uh, to, to do his own thing. I, I think the main reason for it was he was doing all the work and writing all the songs. But th- since then, they've got back together quite quite a lot over the last couple of decades. So it, it, it's not a, a rift that's too deep. I genuinely had believed that it was a really unpleasant musical breakup and that they didn't like each other but maybe i've got completely the wrong end of the stick there so i i thought that too but they've they've performed together recently they recorded recently um in the 90s and the 2000s and in the 2010s i think so if there's animosity i think it's more the press bigging it up than anything else so so paul simon went solo um in the 70s and recorded six albums which were all pretty pretty good they're pretty straightforward folk music but his popularity started to wane and he recorded an album called hearts and bones in 83 which just didn't really get the the acclaim that he was looking for and at the same time his marriage to carrie fisher who is princess Leia of star wars fame went wrong kind of collapsed and so he found himself in a in a bit of a rut really so what's is hearts and bones still quite folksy yeah it's it's slow, gentle folk music. I think some critics recently have gone back to it and said, "Oh, it's a it's an undiscovered classic." I think it's just good folk music, but it's quite it's very quiet. It presumably it must have felt like old man tries to stick to all the old stuff, and you've got all this early eighties keyboards started to become a really big thing, much more poppy new wave stuff coming through and presumably he was just dismissed as man cannot move with times i think so i I think warner who is record label would just thought he could have done better and they didn't drop him but i think it wasn't that well received and at the time uh so what in kind of 84 i guess he he was lent a tape by the there's a bit of controversy about who what who was on the tape some say it's Lady Smith, Black Mambazo. Some say it's the Boyoyo Boys. I think inside the sleeve notes of Graceland, he credits the Boyoyo Boys for being the ones that were on that tape. So anyway, he heard some African music from South Africa and he was inspired and basically said, that's it. I want to try and record with these guys. I want to try and make music. And he, and he had done this before. So this wasn't the first time Paul Simon had gone off into exploratory worlds. Uh, his album, the Rhyming Paul Simon, was recorded in Jamaica with some Jamaican artists. He recorded in South America. Do you know the song El Condor Pasta from one of his older albums? Again, I forget which one that is. He's done work with South American artists. So this isn't a new thing for him, but the style of music is. The album that I really love of his, because this was another one that my brother bought and brought home and played incessantly <laughs> to uh, to annoy me, but actually didn't annoy me because it's a really lovely album, is The Rhythm of the Saints. And that's still got some elements of African music in there, but is much more heavily Brazilian music influenced. And that's that's another wonderful album that we should talk a little bit about once we've once we're done with Graceland. Yeah. But yeah, very much very much a man inspired by 
variety of music outside of just Western cultural, classic Western culture music once you get out of his folk era. And it's it's an interesting one because there's, there's some real controversy around all of that stuff, particularly so Graceland and the recording at the time was with South African artists at a time when it was very frowned upon to do anything with South Africa because of apartheid. But what's fascinating about that controversy is that he was obviously doing it with black musicians in South Africa rather than necessarily the regime that was in charge. Yeah, so so this is where things get rocky. So at the time, because of apartheid, there's there was a cultural boycott in South Africa, and it basically said no one should be promoting anything coming out of South Africa, be it any entertainment, all of that stuff should just be stopped because... Uh, we can't be seen to support um, support the regime. So Paul Simon kind of, I guess, naively wandered into this. Now, he, he knew that apartheid was going on. He knew there was a cultural boycott and he knew artists like Queen and Rod Stewart. They were part of Artists Against Apartheid and they were all not recording. They weren't going to perform there. It was blacklisted. So Paul Simon went to uh, some of his musical buddies in the industry, Quincy Jones, Harry Belafonte, and said, guys, what do you think of me going to Africa and trying to record an album there? And they were saying, well, tricky times, buddy. I think you should go and the least you should do is go and talk to the ANC. ANC were Mandela's party out there. And they said, if you go to them, Mandela's party was trying to to fight back against apartheid. If you get their buy-in, then you're cool. So Paul Simon didn't do that. So he just decided... (laughs) I don't want to get political. All I want to do is record music. And I think if you kind of go down to the roots of the argument, there's all sorts of toing and froing about how he should have managed this. I think he should have simply gone, can I do this? But he wanted to avoid all the politics. And he turned up in South Africa and started recording music. Now, Warner helped him. They found a load of artists. So they found Ladysmith, Black Man Marzo. They found the Boyoya Boys. They found the um, the Gaza sisters who really cool. They they kind of they're a feature on all of his um, songs, some of the songs. But he turned up and started recording, and it must have been really difficult because there were curfews at the time. These guys would be recording a song, and then after five p.m., you can't just walk down the street if you're if you're a black guy. You have to either get taken somewhere in a car, or you have to have your papers with you. So. In the middle of recording all this, this this great music, there was also this tension. It must have been a really difficult time. And, and particularly as a white Western artist doing that, it's, it is very much easier for him to sort of just sweep that stuff under the carpet a little bit, and certainly was at the time. I think there is obviously a lot more awareness of those kind of issues now, but I, I equally think that we need to acknowledge that there are a lot of people in the Western world who have been introduced to really wonderful, brilliant black African music through this route. Ladies of Black Mambazo, just for context, these guys weren't small fry that he discovered. So it's not like it was like, oh, look at Paul Simon discovering all this amazing music. He didn't do that in, in the in the townships in SA. These guys are royalty to the point where the music they sing is a traditional Zulu um, music so um isika thamaya music is is their style and they were not allowed to enter 
Isika Thamaya music competitions because they were so good. So they would be allowed to play. Wow. These guys are playing in the background and they've also danced as well. So they were allowed to be there as entertainment, but weren't allowed to be part of the competition just because they were so good. So they were going to win it no matter what. Because they were going <laughs> to win it. So th- these guys were shit hot and they, they knew that they were good. And so that's what I think that's the reason. That's why Paul Simon found them. He was like, I've, I've got to record with these guys because they're amazing. Yeah. And if you listen all the way through the album, you can hear their influence. And I think I want to be clear that we're not saying Paul Simon got these guys successful. I think I think our point is he brought an attention to this stuff from a from a broader audience. And these guys are just they're so talented. I I love listening to that kind of music. <clears throat> I know very little about it. So if anyone wants to educate me on it further, I would love that. But it certainly brought a more global awareness of something that obviously wasn't getting any global attention because of the issues with apartheid that were then ironically having much heavier impact on black music coming out of South Africa than, than anything else. Yeah. My, my introduction to this was slightly different. So my parents met in Africa, they were working um, for VSO, so voluntary service overseas. And so when they were in Kenya and Zimbabwe, they brought a lot of that music back. And um, I think Paul Simon was actually quoted as saying it would have been much easier if I'd found a band in a country other than South Africa with apartheid, because this would have been simpler. But I grew up on some of the music that had come from those countries. So it was sonically really interesting for me to see the two music styles being fused. I didn't think you could do that. And you can see both sets of artists changing their styles so they can fit together. So a lot of South African music is all major, all major key, always positive. And there's an interview with one of the guitarists from one of the South African bands who was saying he put in a minor chord in the song and Paul Simon said, what What are you doing? That's, um, I didn't realise you played minor chords. And he, he said, I don't, but I'm trying to fit in with your music too. So they were trying to blend music at, at this time, which it worked really well. So thinking of that blending of music styles, which of the songs would you pick out or which song in particular would you pick out as a one to listen to to really get a feel for this um wow so <laughs> following on from you putting me on the spot last week with which is your favorite song from brighter later <laughs> your turn my god the the trouble with this is that they're all they're all so different so right. if you want a because you record a different artist so if you want to listen to incredible vocal range listen to homeless so Homeless starts with this kind of almost choral number, the music to which is um, is a Zulu wedding song. And he's taken a Zulu wedding song and put his lyrics onto it. And it starts with just Ladysmith, Black Mambazo singing this. And vocally, it's the depth of sound is, is beautiful. But then you jump to I Know What I Know with the Gaza sisters, and it's completely different. They're, they're, they're whooping around in the background as mm-hmm. as backing singers and and it's totally different so i i struggle with this one i love graceland that's the the title track of the album it starts off with this lyric the mississippi delta is shining like a national guitar now i didn't know what a national guitar is Did, do you know have you ever seen nope. a national guitar if you google one there are it's a guitar company that make these guitars and they're they're polished metal um, with holes drilled in so they're basically like an acoustic guitar but the, the body of the guitar is all made out of metal and it's got oh, this beautiful 
completely reflective surface. And as soon as you hear that, it looks like the Mississippi Delta with the sun coming up over it. It's an amazing lyric, and I hadn't noticed that. That's very but, cool. Yeah, I think I think I think I've seen. Oh, what's his name? Martin Knopfler of Dire Straits yeah. playing one. I think, in <clears> fact, <throat> there might be one of their album covers features a national guitar quite prominently on the front of it. Yeah, and and there's a lyric in there. Um, it says, "As if I'd never noticed the way she brushed her hair from her forehead." He's talking about Carrie Fisher with that. So Carrie Fisher used to brush her hair in a certain way, and so he's got little snippets of his his other life. My favourite song, and I think it's probably most people's favourite from the album, is "You Can Call Me Al." <laughs> so the the video for "You Can Call Me Al" is uh, Chevy Chase back in his heyday featured very heavily and it's basically just him and paul simon dicking around but it it's not just funny because they're messing around it's also funny because chevy chase is about six foot four and paul simon's about five foot three which did lead to one of my favorite lines from i think it was jimmy carr who was talking about it said you can call me al well you can call him anything you want he's five foot four what's he gonna do <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and the the line is actually interesting i didn't realize where it came from until until today when I checked up on it. It turned out that he was at a party and someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, great to see you, Al, and um, give Betty my regards. Now, his name's not Al and his wife was called Patty, I think. But he loved this, that some guy completely confused his name. So he used it as a line in his song and just said, you can you can call me Al. I love um, that. The, the, best, the best part on that song is the, the bass line about probably about nearly all the way through. So Bagheeti Kumalo plays this bass like he was one of the musicians and they recorded this out in in SA and he was playing this bass now the bass line is very skilled bass as it descends it kind of it's this complete bass solo at the point where it goes up that's not Bagheeti Kamalo playing the bass Paul Simon has taken the bass line from that reversed it digitally and then played it backwards so as soon as it's the descending bass is his riff, then it's been flipped and it goes back up. You can't actually play what Bagheeti Kamalo played in the album in real life. So you, you can't reproduce this. When they play it live, you'll hear a slight, uh, an almost correct rendition of it. But, but what he does on the recording is he's dicked around with it digitally because he could. And digital music was really just starting to happen now. So that's really uh, interesting. I'd never... I obviously didn't know that until now. But yeah, you're right. It was you were just getting into that age where it wasn't just all tape. You had you had more of these abilities to do things with synthesizers and with digital music and all that kind of stuff, which which does make it interesting. What's what's fascinating about that is that that baseline, I love it, and you're completely right. And anyone who hasn't heard it should go and listen to it. Because you'll go and listen to it. And then if you've watched any sitcom from the mid to late 80s to the mid 90s, you'll recognize that style of baseline because they just got used all the time. And I don't know whether it was inspired specifically by that one, but it certainly sounds like every baseline on a Seinfeld episode ever. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. And and all of that baseline. So none of this was written. So this album, when Paul Simon went to South Africa to record this, he didn't turn up in a studio with a bunch of songs and said, I want you to guys to play this music. He just said, let's jam, let's create some music. So that bass line you hear, all the backing singing, all the, the, the styles of music you hear throughout the album, that's just, that's off the cuff. That's those guys having a great time. And it, it's lovely to hear such, um, 
such expansive music just come just appear out of nothing it's really good it's quite classically african style as well to have people that are incredibly talented but also it's not it's not jazz but it's that sort of jazz like way of of feeling your way through the music and and being so engrossed in it you don't necessarily it's it's quite a western thing to be i'm going to write this piece of music and i'm going to write all the music down and then we're going to play it exactly as it is on there rather than almost creating music that's based on emotion and feel and what everyone else is doing yeah the the album when it was recorded again the, the digital side of it was huge and i don't know I can't listen to the bits which must have come out of those initial recordings and which bits they've spliced together later. But in interviews with Paul Simon, a lot of it he's he said is is just us in the studio mixing this later. So yeah, it's a fascinating album, and there's there is so much to it. He even records with um, Los Lobos, who are a Mexican kind of group. Um, at the end okay. all, all around the world was recorded with them. So this was back in. The, the studio that uh, that pops up on the at the end of the album and, and they were pissed off because he didn't credit them at all um oh, so, really? so all of the the south african artists got equal splitting of any revenue off the back of this and uh they got paid but he basically jammed with these guys with los lobos and they didn't seem to see a cent of of the money or any recognition and they were they were pissed off so yeah he, which is weird when you've done all of that for the <laughs> other artists that are on that album to then screw just one band yeah it is weird so if you want more of a backstory there are loads and loads and loads of articles online about it read up on it 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 caused all sorts of trouble at the time i think though in the 90s after the success i think people started to realize that it was a force for good mandela invited him back to play in 91 although one of the um there was a pretty scary hit squad um he was his name was on a hit list paul simons um at the time and they they threw grenades at the office that he was um supposed to be working in so there's there's some undercurrents there which haven't gone away so when you when you kind of take on apartheid and the un and everyone else you're gonna get some repercussions so so was that was that a south african white nationalist group yeah azapo were with, with the group apparently he turned up and on on the first day, he was at the top of their hit list, and they basically said, "Why don't we shoot him? Let's kill him." And uh, and I think one of Paul Simon's buddies managed to intervene. I don't know. I, I, I forget the story, but someone basically went up to them and said, "It's just not worth it. Just don't get him." But he was on a hit list because of this. So right, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think if if this kind of album emerged in our current societal climate you'd get all sorts of shouts of cultural appropriation going on with this and i think what's fascinating is i i have this sort of issue with cultural appropriation as just a term that gets slung around because i think there's a very big difference between appropriation and appreciation and what this shows is a very heavy sign of appreciation where he is very significantly crediting the artists that he's worked with. He is feeding money back into those artists that he's worked with. It's not just him going in, mm. listening to a bunch of their music, coming back to the UK and then getting UK based musicians to record that style and then just cutting those people out. But, but I think the thing that really gets to the core of that for me is if you've got those South African bands and someone like Nelson Mandela and other significant cultural figures who are, 
anti-apartheid and a big part of South Africa post-apartheid endorsing it, then I think that's where you can say, well, this is an appreciation thing. Yeah, it's and it's difficult. It, so not all black artists liked it. Some said, how can it take Paul Simon, the white guy, to come here and, and showcase our music to the world? It shouldn't be because of him. People like Billy Bragg and Paul Weller hated him for it. They were saying, we've got this this block on anything to do with SA for a reason. And now you just wander in and make this Grammy award winning album. How how dare you go and go under our noses and do this stuff? So I, th- I think... I think the, the the only thing I can really accuse him of is just being just a little bit naive and wandering into a, a pretty volatile situation, a very volatile situation. Yeah, I don't know that I'd call it naivety. It's probably a certain level of arrogance more than anything that, that yeah. you can you are special, you are different, you can get away with this. Yeah. And and I definitely think it's it's controversial for a reason. And there's definitely people were right to be angry with the way he went about it. I guess there's an element for me of outcome is more important than some of that stuff to an extent uh so yeah i don't know i think two white middle class guys talking about this on a podcast (laughs) maybe not the right people to make those judgment calls but that's that's my personal take on it yeah the 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 music's the thing for me it's an amazing album it blends together all sorts of styles from music and and people like yusundor i think from he's from senegal he was he's pops on there as well there there are all sorts of people on this track that that make it great and paul simon is just one of them so yeah it's it's one of my favorite albums it's a classic go back and listen to album you have missed out one track that i think is probably one we should talk about a little bit your yeah. thoughts on diamonds on the soles of her shoes oh what a song it's beautiful it was an afterthought as well just like really me. i've forgotten about it as well it wasn't supposed to go on the album and i think right at the end of the recording just when they were going to put the album down and, and and properly mix it up they recorded that as a almost as an extra and just said let's do another one and um i think it's one of the best songs on the album once again you've got these incredible vocal harmonies from everyone it's a classic nice so next question that we're obviously going on to have you ever seen him live uh no i haven't i haven't either but i think that's partly down to the fact that i think the only way i would see him live now was if he did a headline set at a festival that i was at so if i went back to glastonbury sometime in the next five or ten years and he just happened to be one of the headliners i think that's probably the only way i'd see him now because the only other way to see him is at a massive stadium gig where tickets are 200 quid a pop and i'm just not paying that <laughs> if i'm honest yeah i, I did see lady smith black by marzo though at glastonbury nice. um in 2000 and they're they're live they're amazing because they they don't just sing they dance as well and you get this it's a full-on just just a wonderful experience so so i have seen them so yeah what i would say is while i haven't seen them or him live i have seen other african bands end of the road festival has started including more african and not just African, they've got Japanese bands and things like that coming in. More more broad global music than just the US and UK and European indie scene. Uh, and so one of those bands that I saw last year, who I, I had literally no idea who, who they were, they hadn't hit on my radar in terms of bands that I particularly was going to go and see while I was at End of the Road are a band called Kokoko exclamation mark. So K-O-K-O-K-O. And 
yeah. the only reason I saw them was because I was wandering around the site. There wasn't, I think I'd just finished seeing someone on a different stage and I hadn't really made my mind up on what I wanted to see next. And they came on the main stage and it was sunny and blue skies and they came out and it was just gloriously wonderful, joyous music. They are an absolute delight to see live. They're wicked. I would go and, yeah. I'd go and see them again in a second. They They have all these sort of semi-homemade instruments that they use as well and every single one of them takes lead on vocals on different songs and yeah. it they're great recorded but live they are absolutely wonderful and it was so end of the road festival the wood stage which is the main stage during the middle of the afternoon tends to be a bit up and down in terms of crowd size and density so if you happen to have someone who's got a bit famous in the last couple of months you'll get a much bigger crowd but because it's a huge space everyone just kind of sits out in the sun and enjoys the sun and just lets the music kind of waft over them for Coco, within about a minute and a half of them starting the first song i'd wandered way down the front as they started because i was like well these guys seem interesting and as they started i was like i want to have a bit of a dance here i looked round and there was 20 30 rows of people just dancing their asses off i was stuck in a traffic jam when i first heard them i was on my way to work and i was some, there was must be an accident up ahead and I was just sitting listening to six music and they played Azotoke oh, yes. and it was I was in my car just going yes this is awesome and just <laughs> bouncing around in stationary traffic so I've come across them as well yeah they're great yeah I think it was Kitoko possibly or it might yeah it might have been Azotoke were the, the two songs that kind of stuck out from that set they're just they're just a band if you want to have a bit of a dance in in your kitchen while all of this is going on, stick them on and have a bit of a dance because yeah, they're true. great. In fact, I think that might be my next song after we finish recording. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so I'd say in terms of influences for me, listening to that album and Rhythm of the Saints kind of opened up broader global music generally as someone who hadn't really listened to anything outside of you know regular Western music. And I do think... They're a good gateway. There's obviously so much incredible African music out there, but certainly to get a feel for some of that stuff, go and listen to the album and then go and listen to Lady Smith, Black Mambozo and, and the other big artists that are on there because just some insanely good music and just a different style. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I mean, where to go from that? I, I, th- I think your your point about Rhythm of the Saints being another one to to jump onto is, um, is, is definitely worth doing. But yeah, in terms of the wider scene just look at womad and look at womad's lineup world of music and dance is a festival which just brings everyone together from all over the world that's probably worth looking at who's headlining there if you're interested further because womad just do this all the time every year apart from this summer they have a lineup which just has some some cracking action from everywhere nice cool any any other thoughts on paul simon or shall we uh shall we wrap it up for the week um, the only thing to mention is that Vampire Weekend did totally copy him on their first album, and Paul Simon is totally cool with it. Really? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great fact. All right. Thanks for joining us. We are, as I always say, on Twitter, as I might be wrong, UK. We're on Facebook. Come and talk to us on there. We're always interested to hear your thoughts, particularly when we're talking about something that might be just a little bit more controversial. Henry, you still don't have a Twitter. When's no. that happening? whenever (laughs) (laughs) thanks for joining us once again see ya
Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.